1: Welcome to Bear Archery's Hunting 101 podcast presented by our good friends over at Scent Lock. Guys, this week I am joined by Isaac Kent of Midwest Madness. Isaac and his two brothers started Midwest Madness and uh, we kind of talk about why they started it and how they got to where they're at. But we also talk about kind of the whole premise behind this podcast and that's to hunt, to grow, and inspire. We talk about the importance of all three, how to do so and uh, just some some things to know along the way, um, some things to keep in mind as you go through your journey of, of being an outdoorsman. We also talk about some very unconventional uh, deer hunting methods that have proven themselves over time. Some things that you hear and you're like, why would you ever do that? But then you kill a massive whitetail doing it, and it's something you now implement all the time. So guys, it's a fun episode. It's an informative episode, and uh, I hope that you will maybe try and implement some of these unconventional whitetail methods this fall because they have proven themselves to be very successful but guys i hope you enjoy it as much as i enjoyed it welcome to bear archery's hunting 101 podcast where hunters new and old come to learn and find inspiration from stories of hunts gone by Everyone is welcome to enjoy the outdoor way of life, and there is no better time to start than right now. So let's head into the great outdoors with your host, Dylan Ray. Guys, I'm an arrow junkie. I love arrows. And I have found a fondness for deer crossing archery. Everybody makes a good arrow. I'm not saying that anybody out there makes a bad arrow. But what really sets Deer Crossing Archery apart is when I call them, I'm going to get, A, the owner on the phone, I'm going to get the guy that's building my arrows on the phone, and they're going to walk me through a complete custom build. They're not shipping me a box of arrows that they ship out to everybody. I'm going to pick my knot colors, my fletching colors, my wrap colors, the fletching configuration I want on the arrows. Not only that, I'm going to walk him through my setup. I'm going to walk him through what I'm looking to get out of the setup. I'm going to tell him total arrow length I want to be hitting, total arrow weight I want to be hitting, total uh, insert, outsert weight I want to be hitting, FOC. And he's going to custom build a set of arrows and send them to me. My arrows aren't going to be best for you. Your arrows aren't going to be best for me. We need custom arrows. Deer Crossing Archery builds those arrows custom for you, and they always perform. Their silencer shaft is my favorite arrow on planet Earth. I've shot. 40 plus animals with that arrow it always performs it always blows through the animal i always get great penetration it's a micro diameter shaft they do have a full line of shafts Uh, the new rupture arrow is a phenomenal arrow i shot a deer with it this year in missouri i love their arrows guys i would highly encourage you to check out deer crossing archery because you don't have to go to a box store and buy a set of arrows that are just made from the factory you can get arrows custom made for you that are going to work best for you and your setup guys use code hunting 101 to get a discount at deer crossing archery i would highly encourage you to check them out they are phenomenal all right isaac so first off where are you at in the world right now
0: well i am currently in bozeman montana um one of the greatest places in the west actually yeah is it What, why so? That's what they say anyway. Um, well, see in Bozeman, uh, for those of you who may not be familiar with Bozeman, um, there's abundant fly fishing, world-class trout rivers. Um, we've got some pretty solid elk hunting right by, uh, right by where I live at. And, um, of course there's always some pretty good deer hunting within an hour or so drive. So it's pretty much got everything a sportsman could want. Um, so that's why I like it.
1: Yeah, they're, uh, you're missing one crucial part about Bozeman that makes it great, and that's Schnee's Boots.
0: That's true. They are pretty sweet.
1: Yeah, that uh, I've always wanted to go. Uh, I've only actually been to Montana once, and I spent about a week on Blacktail Mountain, which was incredible. Just a gorgeous place to be. Um, but I've always wanted to make it to Bozeman just to visit that store uh, because I've just been told it's, just an incredibly cool place so um that is on my list to to go there just to visit if none nothing else just to visit shanae's and and see the boots man
0: dude it's awesome you that store is incredible and um yeah the trophy room in there and all the antique uh stuff that's in there yeah super cool place one of a kind for sure
1: so when do uh when do your season start opening up
0: well, um so pronghorn has already been open since uh August fifteenth. Unfortunately, I've had to work, so I haven't been able to uh get out and chase them too much, but I'm planning on getting out uh hopefully this weekend um this weekend elk season and deer season open up um uh, so I'm pretty stoked about that. I'm not going elk hunting this weekend though I've got the boys coming up they're gonna film um next weekend, so we're gonna go on a on a big hunt next weekend but uh
1: yeah, it all opens up this weekend. It's gonna be awesome. Well, we have to have a talk here real quick. Just just you and I. It's you have a tag in your pocket. You have a day off from work and you're sitting on a podcast with me. What the heck are you doing? Why are you not chasing envelope yeah, right now?
0: Yeah, I you know, obligations and uh I got you know, I wanted to come join you on the pod, so you know, it's uh it's a good thing. I'll go uh chase those antelope this afternoon most of the time in the morning anyway they give me the slip so it's fine
1: yeah no i got you what um what's your what's your attack on antelope are you a waterhole guy are you a spot and stalk guy decoy what how, how do I'm you hunt antelope up, there
0: i'm a straight up spot and stalk guy decoy maybe if possible but um i just love spotting and stalking them uh especially in some of the sage flats around here, um, kind of hard in, in some of the areas that I hunt, um, in, however, there's a lot of bigger bucks, which I guess kind of, you know, correlates. It's a lot flatter, but some of the, uh, the bucks get pretty big. So it makes for a pretty fun challenge, uh, sneaking and using the terrain to your advantage, but yeah, totally spot and stalk. And it's a great way to practice your skills.
1: Yeah, absolutely, man. I've been told, which we have antelope here in Western Kansas. Um, the the success rate's like four percent with a bow. I mean, it's incredibly low. Um, but I've been told. I mean, if you can spot and stalk antelope, you can spot and stalk anything. Like there's nothing you can't get close enough to kill if you can spot and stalk antelope. Um, but I I also think people way overcomplicate it sometimes. You know, uh, like you said. Oh yeah. I mean, Sometimes, sometimes people overcomplicate it when in all reality, if they were to strap a, you know, a decoy to the front of their bow, it would help them out tremendously. Or if they would, uh, you know, use cattle ranches to their advantage, it would help them out tremendously. So, you know, I think while it sounds cool to say, hey, I'm 100% spot and stalk, when people start out antelope hunting, and, and, and not to cheat or anything, is not what I'm saying, but make it as easy on yourself as possible. Like... You know, oh, yeah. if, if, if you've got a rancher that's got cows that you can use cows to get closer, I mean, use that to your advantage. If you've got uh watering holes, use that. If you've got, you know, you name it, bow mounted decoys or cow decoys, whatever, use those things to your advantage because sometimes, sometimes spotting and stalking them is, is very difficult and you'll go years without getting a shot opportunity. So i just tell people when you start like yeah that's a really cool goal to get to but like when you start use everything to your advantage man start learning the animals start learning you know how to get in close what they like what they don't like um and use some of those advantages without trying to over complicate it
0: oh for sure yeah it's, it's definitely like i mean i've been hunting my whole life so you know i always try to take that with a grain of salt but um you know, yeah, for, for newer beginner people, absolutely don't try to jump right on the struggle bus right away. Like it's, um, you're definitely going to up your odds. You know, I even know people who use a uh, cow decoys, not even antelope decoy. You know, if you're on an area with cattle, um, they have huge cutouts, you know, they're like the size of a cow, so you can move a little bit easier behind them. And, um, yeah, anyway, definitely use the tools to have success if you can.
1: So we did get ahead of ourselves because I do want to ask you to give an introduction kind of to Midwest uh, Madness and how you guys started, what, where the inspiration came from, how it came about. Tell me about Midwest sure. Madness. Sure. So
0: uh, Midwest Madness, man, it's uh, been since 2014. So I was a junior in high school and um, man, I was just eating up with watching the outdoor channel and watching the few YouTube channels that were kind of prominent at that time. And I just really wanted to film my experiences. Um, So Midwest Madness is myself and uh, my two brothers, Adam and Luke, and our cameraman, Chase. Um, and we've had basically a lot of really funny experiences in the outdoors that I thought this would just be like, if this was on camera, it would be the best content ever. And so we just started filming. And Luke was a film student all through high school and then into college so he was always carrying a camera around. And, um, you know, we've, we've, uh, just wanted to share a unique experience of three brothers in the outdoors hunting, you know, on a budget. Like, like I said, in high school and college, we had next to no money. So we were, you know, scrounging, definitely not the, the lone wolf tree stand guys with the brand new Matthews every year. You know, we're ground hunting with, um, you know, whatever we could. So it was just a unique perspective. And I always wanted to share that with people. So, uh, you know, here we are in 2023, uh, we really didn't hit it hard. We just didn't really know what we were doing until about 2019. And so for about the last four years, we've been kind of taking it pretty serious. Um, since, you know, obviously 2014 was just kind of a learn trial by fire, but, uh, yeah, it's been, it's been a fun ride and that's kind of been my inspiration. Just sharing a unique perspective of myself and my brothers and anything that you can hunt, fish, catch. We've tried to record.
1: So, who was it? You said the the you know the YouTube stars at the time or whatever. Who was your inspiration? Who were you watching? Who made you want to do it?
0: Man, my number one inspiration was Heartland Bowhunter. I wanted to be like them so yeah. bad. Um, I that was when you know they were first kind of breaking onto the scene really big, and um, I just watched them, and the cinematic quality was just so much different than um, you know what people were producing at that time. And I just really, really enjoyed watching them. Um, I mean, gosh, those guys always, uh, you know, Michael Waddell, I think he's had kind of that unique perspective, um, as well in the hunting space where, you know, he's been allowed to be himself and be funny. And, uh, so I just always grew up watching those guys, but then I got to give a shout out to the, the person who really got me into it. And that would be, uh, David Blanton from real that guy i i grew up watching all of the real tree dvds all every saturday morning on espn i was watching you know real tree outdoors or real tree road trips or whatever and yeah david blanton got me into it uh got me turned on to bear archery actually so i just wanted to uh i wanted to kind of be like those guys and emulate them and um yeah that was kind of my inspiration
1: I, uh, David Blanton was the first person that I ever had on the show that I was truly like a little bit starstruck. Um, yeah. and for that reason, because David was not only big when I was in college, but when I was a kid, dude, I mean, I remember watching David on stinking VHR, like, and having to rewind it and burning out the tapes. Like I remember watching David, you know, being a little kid thinking, dude, I wish I could hunt like he does all the time. and and so. And obviously that was when he was with bear, but, uh, to get him on the show and and have a conversation with him, he's as real as they come. Uh, you know, he is, he is as true to himself and, you know, what you see on TV with David or in magazines is what you get in person. Um, he is a genuinely incredibly good guy. And so, um, yeah, Waddell, man, uh, he's got his niche just for being a stupid redneck, but, um, (laughs) yeah he's a fun guy for sure dude um he is a riot I'll tell you that um what is your so where's the story how did this all play out because you're you are in um montana your brothers are in Kentucky right yes that's right so uh so all, did you I, move or did they move I moved so I'm from Kentucky
0: um and yeah I moved out to montana that's what's in wrong 2020 with you. Yeah, that's it, man.
1: What what a hunting opportunity? You wanted to be in the west?
0: Well, well, <laughs> I say west. So it's funny. It's, it's right. midwest. Right. So um we, we it was it was COVID, right? So it was, it was it was crazy times. And um my wife was freshly graduated from college. I was still in college at the time. And um we she was trying to get a job somewhere. And one day I'm sitting in the living room and she's like, Hey, Montana state just called. Would you want to move to Montana? And I was like, absolutely. Sign me up. Like that's the sportsman's paradise. Oh, wow. You know? <laughs> so yeah. And three weeks later, here we were in Montana. So it was pretty crazy.
1: I was really hoping you were going to be like, bro, it was COVID. I was sitting at home. I was bored. I'm like let's move to Montana. <laughs> Like, and then you just pack up and move. It's it you're didn't bored. take
0: much convincing.
1: Yeah. I'll tell you that, dude, because I'm, I'm from Arkansas, um, n- northwest Arkansas. Deer are not big. Um, you know, we did not have – it's an outdoorsman's paradise. Don't get me wrong. I love it because there's canoeing and, and rock climbing and bear hunting, deer hunting, turkey hunting, duck hunting. I mean, it's an it's incredibly fun place to live. But the deer hunting was not great. And so, when I moved to Kansas, it was like a boy A boy woke up in a new deer hunting world. <laughs> like, I remember the first time I sat in Kansas, I was with a buddy on his property, and like a 140 walks out, and I go to pick up my bow, he's like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm going to plug this deer with an arrow. What do you mean, what am I doing? He was like, dude, that's not a shooter here. And I was like, uh, yeah, it is, bro, because <laughs> like... I mean, I'd never seen deer like that before. The biggest deer I'd ever shot in my life was one twenty-seven, Um, yeah. and that was big for Arkansas. And so I was just like, I like woke up in a whole new world almost. And so trust me, dude, I get what you mean by just taking opportunities to further yourself as, as a hunter for sure. Um, oh yeah. I want to go back. You mentioned cause heartland bow hunter dude, and still they have phenomenal content, but everybody has phenomenal content now. Um, and mainly that's just because a stinking iPhone can take really good footage now. But, you know, and I would say it was almost that, almost when you were about getting started, 2018, 2019, uh, maybe a little sooner than that, 16, 17. Back in that time, producing good, high quality content of just like inspirational type, you know, cool music playing, dudes walking through a field, hanging cameras, like, that was it like that's how you got in the industry if you were producing good content you know just short little promos um of that was it that was your in and i feel like now with this with the change in technology and i could be wrong but i've had this conversation with plenty of big time marketing directors in the outdoor industry um that's not really what companies want anymore because again anybody can t- take an incredible photo on an iPhone now anybody can take incredibly good looking crisp videos on an iPhone now but what is not being put out is what I think you have found to be successful as well is more informational type stuff more stuff on you know how to how to perform back tension correctly how to how to tune a bow how to that's what I have found to be to now be the the what is being successful on social media. Um did you notice that or did you just kind of fall into that niche of being infor- informative and then it, you know. Well, no, successful? so I've
0: Yeah, I've always been kind of a a teacher, if you will. Um and so I'm the oldest of five kids, first of all, so that probably gives me a pretty good head start. But um yeah, man, I always wanted to kind of teach and i was listening to you know back then like you were saying that 2018-2019 time frame i was listening to uh, gary v and he was explaining about giving um you know giving value to your content and not just um producing things for yourself right giving value to the end user and so i was thinking and i'm like you know what like it's important to me to share what someone taught me back in the day and share that with a new generation of hunters with these new generation of kids um, because there's so many people on the internet consuming like I just want to put out something that's useful to people that I'm able to um, you know help further our sport ultimately because someone out there taught me and not everyone has that example and so I just wanted to I just wanted to put it out there in the world and maybe help someone who is getting into it for the first time.
1: Absolutely, dude, and that's what that's what so I saw a video one time and it was Cameron Haynes and he was talking about how anybody can get sponsorships these days because again of just how high quality this can take pictures of. So it's like anybody can 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 snap a photo And tag said company. He's like, and I promise you, if you tag Under Armour back to back to back to back in good-looking, high-quality, clean, ethical photos, they'll notice. Or Bear. Or ScentLock. Or you name it. If you just start taking good, high-quality, clean photos, snap, post it, and tag them, they'll notice that. Whereas used to, you had to have a camera. You had to be a camera guy. You had to know how to take a photo. Well, this has made it to where everybody can do that. And so I remember seeing that from Cameron and thinking like, you're right. Like that, the value of what content used to be is no longer what the value of content used to be. Because anybody and everybody can do that. And that was almost about the time, I'd say five years ago, that conversations had began with Bear about starting more of an informational, inspirational type podcast. And I was just like, yes hundred percent like I'm done with trying to put out crazy cool content where people are like, Oh this, th- yeah, this guy, man, he's living the dream out there, chasing elk and killing bears. Like I- I'm kind of done with that. Like this isn't, it's not fun for me because at that time in 2017, 2016, I was filming a TV show for Mossy Oak. And so that was my life. Like trying to produce good quality content where people are like, Oh, look at that, dude. Look at the way the bulls bugling on the side of the mountain. And I was just kind of done with that. Like, Because again, it's exactly what you said. You're not offering anything of value to the viewer, like to get them to go, Oh man, that guy's lucky dude. Look at how he's living the dream. That doesn't help them at all. It might inspire them to want to try, but it doesn't help them obtain any kind of goal. It doesn't push them to try anything new. It doesn't help them further along in their journey. And so these conversations with bear started and, and, that's how the three kind of pillars of this podcast came about hunt grow inspire um, and so I just want to take a minute to to talk about those three for a second because I don't talk about them enough get out and hunt go enjoy nature try something new whether it's a bear hunt whether it's an elk hunt whether it's an antelope hunt you've never antelope hunted whether it's a whitetail hunt it's it's incredible to me when guys are from out west and they're like dude I've always wanted to hunt whitetail and I'm like Never hunted whitetail, like the most common animal hunted in North America. Anyways, try something new. And if even if it's not a new species, try ground hunting. You've always been a tree stand guy. Try ground hunting. Try spotting, stalking whitetails. It's fun. You're going to blow a lot of deer out, but it's a lot of fun, and you will learn stuff. Try hunting from a blind. Try hunting with a recurve if you've always been a compound guy. Try something new because you'll learn something new. Hunt. Grow as an outdoorsman. Be willing to learn new things. Be willing to say, man, I failed here, but I'm going to learn from that, and I'm going to move on. Uh, Be willing to not be a cocky, arrogant prick when you do succeed and not think, man, I've got whitetails figured out, bro. I shot a 120 last year. Don't think that you've got it all figured out. Continue to learn. Continue to grow as a sportsman. And then help others grow. There's a two-part to that pillar. Help others grow. Listen. You've got something to offer. I don't care if you, you just started hunting last year. You still know something more than the guy behind you. You always have something to pass on. You might think, Dylan, I just learned how to sight in a bow for the first time. That's great. Somebody doesn't know how to side in a bow. So you've got something to offer. So not only continue to grow, but help others to grow. And then inspire other people. The way that you carry yourselves, the way that you talk about hunting, the way that you portray hunting on social media, the way that you articulate about hunting when you're talking to a non-hunter we're not some bloodthirsty animals inspire somebody to try something new give them the sense that they can do it as well don't come off as though and again we're going back to the cocky arrogant prick thing don't come off as a man dude this took me a lifetime but i've got it nailed down now don't come off that way come off as though hey this is available for anybody and everybody and you can do it too inspire other people to try something new Dude, and I'm not trying to toot my own horn here, but back in the day, I never, from the TV show, from everything else I used to do, I never got emails about that. You know, it was never like a, holy crap, dude, I saw you go on an elk hunt, so I had to do it, and I went, and it was incredible. Never got that. But ever since I've taken this switch to help grow and inspire new hunters, dude, it almost makes me tear up when I get an email saying, hey... I finally tried whitetail hunting for the first time because I listened to your, your deer 101 series that you did. And look at this doe I just shot and I'm like that right there almost gets me like, that's why I do what I do. Or, you know, I I had a guy on last year, he sent me an email and said, Hey, finally tried whitetail hunting. Um, Thanks to you and other people who taught me and gave me the, the, the inspiration and knowledge to do it killed my first doe and I'm like dude that's incredible. 9 months later he's like, "Well, I just shot my first bull elk." And I'm like, "What?" Like and he's just gr- like moving along and it's like, "Dude, this is why we do it." So I you know, I don't know who that's for, but I I hope that you know, whether you think I don't have anything to offer, you do. You have you know something more than the guy behind you. Um, you know, even if you've never killed your first deer before, certainly you've messed up and you've learned something from that and you can help other people with. There have been times where I've had somebody sitting on the podcast across from me and I think I don't have anything to offer this person. They're way more successful than I am. Michael Waddell or um, Zach Farrenball, or you name it. But there were two people in particular that I remember this happening to Zach Farrenball was one of them. And I said, you know, I don't I don't have any kind of tips I can share with Zach. I mean, he's brilliant. He kills everything. And I just shared a tip about putting a a a silver sharpie mark halfway down the post of your single pin and giving yourself a second reference. And he was like mind blown. He was like, dude, why have I never done that before? And I'm like, Really? Like, well, cool. And so I gave him just and and he was ecstatic about it. Another one was a guy by the name of of well I'm not going to mention his name because I don't think I should um I will never mind Bodie Gardner um he's not super well known he's not famous but he's killed an ungodly amount of deer like above 200 uh he he holds two world records one for um mule deer and velvet and one for um maybe maybe he holds both non typical and typical I don't know anyways. The guy is incredibly successful, especially with mule deer. And I just thought, like, there's nothing I can tell this guy that he doesn't know. And I just share a tip with him about uh, milkweed as a as a wind indicator. And he was like, dude, that's brilliant because it'll show you thermals as well. And I'm like, exactly. And and he's like, dude, I've never thought about that. That's a great tip. And I'm like, wow. like So don't ever think to yourself, I don't have anything to offer this person. This person, you know, they need to hear what you have to say, too that's just my, my spiel. I don't give that kind of speech enough. So I figured we worked into it and it it fit.
0: Yeah, that's great, man. And one thing I'll add to that is, yeah, like, you know, um, that's why it's also great as a community of hunters that, that we talk to each other. And, you know, if you meet somebody at the parking lot at, you know, your local public land, like, instead of just trying to beat them in the woods, go over and talk to them, you know, and and just make that relationship. We don't do that enough, I feel like. Um, And, you know, there's a lot of people that In this country that would like us to not hunt. Um, and so we need to be able to band together as a group and, you know, being able to, to talk about that, share common experiences. That's how you learn. And, you know, um, like having two brothers, for instance, we each have a different approach to hunting deer or whatever. And then maybe mine doesn't work, but I try one of theirs and then, you know, we have success. So like you said, you never, you never know. Um, always be open to listen and learn and never be afraid to share what you know. And, you know by doing that i think we can all learn and grow and be better
1: and i i i truly don't get uh, i i'll never understand the 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 want or desire to hold on to information like to to bring all that in and learn as much as you can but never share it giving information is completely free like it doesn't cost you a dime it's not they're not magically going to take over and you don't get to hunt anymore because you shared this tip. Like, am I telling yep. you to drop an exact location on Onyx of your hunt of your hunt stands where you've got incredible bucks show? No, that's not what I'm telling you to do. But I'm telling you to, to discreetly show your, your stands and say, this is why I hung my set here. This is showing me why I should hunt here. So if you have a familiar pinch point, not a familiar, if you have a similar pinch point on your property, this is how I set it up. I'm not telling you to drop a location and say, meet me there, you know, Saturday morning, we're going to go kill deer. It's not what I'm telling you to do. But information is completely free to give out. It costs you nothing. In fact, it gives you back something because by helping create a new generation of hunters, you're protecting your rights to hunt. It's not just going to magically happen where if you share information, all of a sudden you don't get to hunt anymore and your properties are gone and your tags are gone. That's not how it works. Sharing information is completely free and it's beneficial to everyone.
0: Oh yeah, no, it's, and it's, it's totally that. And, and the last thing that I'll, that I'll tack onto that is like, if you have the ability, try to take someone hunting. If there's a new hunter in your area or whatever, like, you know, I had people that took me hunting as a kid that, you know, my dad, he grew up hunting, um, and went hunting a few times he was self-taught right and he taught me everything he knew but then there was other people that I met that also took me hunting also fostered my knowledge um you know so don't don't just keep that to yourself you know if you if you have the opportunity take a kid hunting and uh you know you might create a hunter for life and and you know teach them that and that's something they can always pass down
1: yeah absolutely man Guys, I oftentimes say that I always have a binocular harness on my chest. What good is a binocular harness without a good set of binoculars? I am a sucker for fine Japanese glass. I love good optics. I love spending time behind it. Um, It's just fun. It's fun to go out and look at stuff, um, but also... Good optics make spotting and looking through them a whole lot more enjoyable. Koa Optics does it and does it better than anyone else in my opinion. They have some of the finest Japanese glass on planet Earth. It's all I've used for the past, I don't know, eight years or so. This right here, the Koa 55, is one of the best products ever made in the history of the universe. It is the smallest, most compact scope you can get, but it still offers phenomenal glass. It's really hard to find a a spotter that is this small, this light, this compact. You can throw it in your backpack. You can leave it in your truck. It's so small and so compact, but it still offers phenomenal glass. This is one of my favorite products ever. Guys, if you're in the market for new optics, I would highly encourage you to check out Koa Optics because they are, in my opinion, the best glass that you can buy. Go check them out. So, it is open season in Kentucky. Kentucky, they're, dude, they're a bunch of rednecks. They start hunting as early as they can, and they kill as much as they can and as long as they can. Um, Matt Jennings already found success in Kentucky. Um, have your brothers killed anything in Kentucky yet?
0: Not yet. No, they haven't. Um, they've uh, they're getting ready. They're gearing up to uh, go out. I want to say tonight or tomorrow night, um, and they're going to be they're going to be out hunting. They we got access to a new farm um, that. They're going to be hunting on and yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be pretty sweet. They're going to try, they're going to try, uh, some, probably some unconventional ground hunting tactics. If I had to guess, there's a lot of standing corn, so you can probably, uh, imagine there's we, we might do some little standing corn, uh, sets or whatever, but there's some good bucks out there. So it would not surprise me if they put a good one on the ground pretty soon.
1: Early season, dude, you're unconventional. Um, ways can can play dividends if you're in a place where there's farmers like dude i actually was kind of jokingly back and forth with the guy this morning he was sharing trail camera pictures and he said if you want to know if farmers play a massive role in your deer herds and he was showing like giant bucks and i know that like he didn't just photoshop like giant bucks with combines you know 200 yards behind them um Another guy commented and said, dude, my biggest buck I've ever killed, there was a combine 100 yards behind the deer. Um, And I commented and said, yeah, Bill Winky actually said that if he could drive a combine to his tree stand every time, he would. I say all that to say this. Sometimes early season, you can use farmers like crazy because it gives those deer a sense of like peace. Um, It also helps you cover up your scent. I mean, if they're smelling combine and farmer and, you know, diesel or whatever, then it helps mask your scent. So I have literally before texted my farmers and said, hey, when are you cutting the Milo? Because I want to be hunting when you do. Uh, Hey, when are you cutting the beans? When are you cutting the corn? I want to be there when you do. I want to ride in with you. I've done that before. I want to stand on your tractor and just ride into the stand with you and drop me off when you drive by it. I'm not asking you to do any more work. I'm not asking you to... Go out of your way. I'm just your first loop by. I'll just jump off. And dude, some of those early season tactics, it sounds stupid, but that sometimes that's the best way to kill a big deer in the early season.
0: That's it, man. And the thing is like, if you're being unconventional and you're hitting those deer from different angles when, where they haven't been pressured from before, a lot of times, like you have all the cards in your hand. Like we, we hunt a lot of places like that like hey like you said about the farmers and the combines if i can be in the stand while farmers combining like that's my favorite day to hunt hands down and you know also things like um using turn rows to your advantage where you know these these deer are there might be a little turn row in this cornfield, and that's their in and out access um and if you can tuck in there you know you're going to be no deer is going to expect you to be there or um you know, we we use sometimes in in between cornfields, you know, there'll be an irrigation ditch using that irrigation ditch. And a lot of people don't realize, too, that like in the evening, the water in the irrigation ditch can pull your thermals down where it's cooler Can pull them down that ditch. And you can hide in that ditch virtually unseen with no cover. And in my experience, that's where, you know, most of the big bucks are killed or seen or whatever is is in those type of scenarios, because. You know the big bucks. They're not just walking the field edge at the, you know, in the evening, just you know, haphazardly. They're going to be in those type of areas doing those type of things. And if you're able to hit them from an angle where they're not being pressured from, like the odds are in your favor.
1: Yeah, hundred percent, dude. And um, one of the, one of the most unconventional, stupid things I ever did um, to kill a deer, and it worked. I had a ground blind set up at my, my grandparents place and I, there just, it wasn't working. I mean, deer were not cooperating. Well, my grandfather, what he would do is, is in the evenings he would go out and he would hit golf balls in the pasture and he would take a bucket of corn when he would do that and dump it out for the deer. And then he would hit golf balls. Well, I just thought, I'm like, You know, being a a hunter at at heart, I had told my grandpa, hey, I'm going to be hunting. So don't come out tonight. You know, don't don't come out there tonight. Well, that was the dinner bell for those deer. Like that was what they were used to. So it was throwing the deer off completely. So I call my grandpa. He doesn't text. I call my grandpa from the stand. I'm like, can you or from the blind? I'm like, can you come put corn out and hit golf balls? And he was like, sure, I guess. So he drives out. He dumps the corn. My grandfather is hitting golf balls 50 yards in front of my blind. Like I'm just watching pops just smoking golf balls, dude, <laughs> at 50 yards in front of me. And I'm like, this is stupid. This is retarded. And then, and then I look over and there's deer right here 20 yards out my side window. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, it worked. So he's sitting over here hitting golf balls and deer are starting to pile in 20 <laughs> yards from me. So when he's 50 yards in front of me hitting balls, I literally shoot a deer 20 yards on the side of the window over here. So my grandpa hears me shoot like stops and looks and like watches the deer run off. And I'm like, that was the stupidest thing ever, but it worked. Like try, try stuff like that, guys. Don't overthink it, simplify it. But this is going back to like helping you as outdoorsmen. Like you might be thinking to yourself, you're like, man, I never thought about using a combine to my advantage. I never thought using even. So after that, I realized I'm like, it's not even the fact that he's out there hitting golf balls. It's that they hear him drive the golf cart out, dump the corn and drive off. So then I didn't even have to have him hitting balls. It was just, hey, pops, drive out the golf cart, dump your corn and then drive in, drive out and changed the way I hunted that property forever. I don't do it any longer. They actually excavated the woods behind it and now it doesn't work anymore. But anyways, try unconventional things, guys. You'll be amazed at what works sometimes.
0: Oh yeah. It's, it's, it's crazy. Um, you know, you'll, you'll be surprised. I'll, I'll give you one quick unconventional tactic. Um, big shout out to Adam, my brother. So he has this tactic just, so this one time we were, uh, Out in the woods and we found a deadhead and this deer has had to be like 160, 170 huge deadhead, right? For the area that we're hunting. And, um, so we got this deadhead and we got this idea, like, why don't we make a set of rattling antlers out of, out of these guys? Because, you know, you never see rattling antlers that big in a store or or wherever. So we got this huge deadhead set and we cut the brow tines off and we made a rattling antler set out of them. Well, when we're in the woods and, like, rattling, I mean, he is banging these things together, jumping off trees, slamming through the leaves. Like, it, it sounds like a full-on deer fight. And I cannot tell you the amount of bucks that have come on a dead sprint because it sounds so realistic. Like, it does, if you hit a little, you know, set rattling antlers together, most of the time you're like, okay, this is kind of unconvincing. It doesn't sound like a knockdown drag out. But using that big set of antlers like that, we had so many deer that would come in on a string that just you know they threw caution to the wind because it sounded so real, so you know think out that's that's another great way of thinking outside the box that you know has paid off for us plenty of times.
1: you know, I actually was shared a tip about rattling in bucks the other day, and um it actually made a lot of sense to me. You know, you said you got to cut the brow tine off. And so if you've never used real rattling antlers, A, start using real rattling antlers. They sound a whole lot better than a bag or a black rack or whatever. Um, But you got to cut the brow tine off because, dude, you'll catch a brow tine in the stinking hand and it'll hurt bad. So you cut the brow tine off, especially on a matching set, because when you hit, that's where your brow tines are going to be. When you're hitting the antlers, you're going to catch one of the hand. But this old boy, and and he is a deer-killing machine, he said, you know what I do is I get the same side. Most guys want opposite sides so they can bang them together frontwards or forwards, like, you know, what makes sense, I guess. And I'm like, yeah, you're right. And he's like, well, I get opposite sides, one a little bigger than the other. And I hold the bigger one in one hand and then the littler one remember they're the same side so i'm hitting it from the back and and i, I don't have to worry about brow tines i do to worry about banging my hands together i don't have to and i was like eh, that's actually a pretty good tip and so my rattling set for this year is two same sides uh one a little bigger than the other and and uh didn't have to cut the brow tines off don't have to worry about hitting my hands you can probably and it's back, almost as though too. you can really focus on yeah they do they don't because they fold together you know one fits inside the other almost so um yeah. Yeah, dude, that's that's just a quick tip. You know something that, and it's almost become so normal to me that I don't even view it as unconventional anymore. It used to like blow my mind. Like I used to feel so insecure about it and so scared about it. If I'm coming in for an evening set, now this is largely due, largely dependent on the set I'm walking into. But if the way a certain set might lay out, if I'm, if I'm walking in on an evening set or walking out on a morning set and I'm not in their bedding area, I'm not where they're living, but maybe it's a rut, a transition spot where I can catch them coming or going. I'm going to make a lot of noise going in and out. I'm going to, there's been times I've literally jogged and I've got a grunt tube in my mouth. I'm jogging, going while I'm jogging, I've got horns, you know, whatever. I've hit a tree on the way by or Rub a tree with the antler and then keep jogging and grunting, especially during the rut. It's amazing how many times I find myself twenty five thirty yards from a buck because he's heard me coming, he was coming the other direction, and we meet and then first off, you have to also be paying very close attention because if you see him coming, you want to duck behind a tree. you don't want you yep. don't want them to see you jogging, but anyways, um that used to be so unconventional to me. I used to think like. What? I, I can't make noise going into my tree stand, but it's amazing the amount of times that I've found myself 20 yards from a from a deer or even 20 yards from a bedded buck. Like they don't pay much attention to me. They don't get up and come at me, but they also don't, you know, even flinch or take a look because they just think I'm a buck walking through the woods. So, the amount of times that I have found myself inside of sh- shooting distance at a deer has been incredible. Um used to seem unconventional, but now it it's a part of what I do,
0: oh yeah, that's a great that's that's uh spot on the money right there, like like you said, I think and this uh this older guy who used to uh kind of teach me a little bit about hunting, he was just like a master of the woods, hunting with a recurve and a flannel and blue jeans, you know, um he told me that like humans or predators they they're trying to be quiet right, so. Like they don't, if a deer hears something in the woods that, you know, they hear a twig crack and they just hear one twig crack, you know, they're probably going to perk up a little bit and be a little curious as to what's going on. But, you know, if they hear something that sounds like, um, you know, a deer just walking and feeding, not trying to be quiet, you know, why would they be as concerned about that? Because no predator is just going to come walking in on them. And if they are, they'll, you know, they'll know they're there. So, I mean, I don't really know the the deer psychology behind that but i totally agree with you it definitely uh you can get a lot closer to deer that way and the other thing too is like if you just walk left right left right like that's it's a pretty uh pretty repeatable sound doesn't really sound like a deer if you got to think about like four-legged animals and how they walk right so it's kind of like a it's like a one two one two kind of walk uh because you got front back front back as they're walking So if you kind of try to sound like a deer while you're walking, um, yeah, you'd be totally surprised. You can walk right up on deer.
1: Also, um, you know, if you think about if you've watched deer just function in the woods, there's been times where a coyote like I've got 20 deer in the field in front of me and I see a coyote coming through. and I'm like, crap, he's about to spread them all. And he just jogs by and the deer don't even move. Like, they don't even think about him. But then there's times where if a coyote comes creeping by, you know, he's stalking, um, especially if you're turkey hunting and you see him like, you know, and there's fawns and a mama. And like mm-hmm. that, those deer bolt because that coyote is in a different mode. He's in kill mode now. You know, he's in yep. hunting mode, if you will same reason why there's so many times where I'm out hanging a tree stand or putting out a salt lick or whatever and deer like walk up on me I'm like, what the heck like why don't you ever do that when I'm hunting again because it's different like you're not you're not in that crouch mode you know you're not in that that yep. kill mode you're more just hanging out making more noise acting natural, and deer don't pay as much attention to it so you're absolutely right dude we actually I did a podcast the other day um, with Justin Spring from Boone and Crockett, and we talk about that very thing. He was like, You know, how come a deer. I was talking about basically if you blow a property, like if I blow out a buck, how long does it take for that deer to go back to being normal and I can hunt him again? And he said that's kind of what he alluded to. He's like, You know, a deer doesn't mark down every time a coyote's running through the woods and then never go back there again. But they do note those times where it crept up on them when they were in their bed. They do note those times where it came in and, and nipped at them, you know, through whatever. And I was like, you know, that's a really good point. He's like, if a deer noted every time they saw or heard a coyote in the woods, they there's nowhere they could live anymore. So it really brought that into perspective of like their deer do note different, like, traits that you are portraying and if you're trying to stealth mode hunt them or not now don't get me wrong i'm not telling you to go running through the woods smoking a cigarette you know eating beef jerky and drinking dews all day and just and cracking dews open and that's not what i'm telling you to do but i am telling you sometimes it seems unconventional but making more noise actually helps you get closer
0: yeah yeah don't don't go to the extreme definitely uh definitely don't do that, but there is, there is, uh, what you're saying is true.
1: So what, um, what was that one moment where you tried something? You're like, this is stupid. And then it worked other, other than the, your brother banging a, a, a set of one sixties together. Um, what was that one moment where you're like, dude, I don't know, man, but it turns out so, it's exactly what you needed to do.
0: Yeah, man. So, I'll tell you the story it actually worked out on my biggest buck ever right so my biggest whitetail um which to some guys not super duper big but my biggest white tail is 151 and um anyway we had access to hunt this farm and we shared it with two other older guys who who hunted this farm they were friends of the farmer so you know they had all the good spots all the nice tree stand locations on the edge of the field and we couldn't hunt those we could just hunt the outskirts or the edges or whatever. And in the summertime, we had seen this really nice buck in soybeans, and I couldn't seem to catch up with him during the season. Couldn't find him on trail cam, no clue where he was at. So one day, it was uh first week of November. It was November 3rd, which is the day before. And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to go walk some real nasty drainages and just see if I find any sign in there. So there's this one little tiny finger of woods between two fields and there was a highway at the back of it and on the back of the highway is just more ag fields so maybe five acres max and there was no hardwoods it was all um just brushy nasty stuff right and i'm like no way there's going to be there's i mean no way there's going to be anything in here but i gotta walk in here anyway to check so i'm like fighting through you know thistles and just thorn bush after thornbush and honeysuckle and just trying to get through all this stuff and um i get back in there and sure enough i found a scrape and i'm like okay like now my interest is peaked, right so i find this i find a scrape and then i found a rub and then i found another rub then i found another scrape and i'm like this is definitely like some nice big buck sign and there was not really any other deer sign in this little area and i was like i could not put two and two together but the sign was telling me that there was a big deer in this area. So I'm like, you know what? We're just going to go for it. So the next night, I went in there, and I brought a tree stand with me, and I hung it on this little, I mean, it couldn't have been more than six or eight inches around at the trunk. And I was probably only eight feet off the ground in this little thicket. And um I got in there, and I hung the stand, and I'm sitting there. And all night long, it was November 4th, and I'm like, man, I should be seeing some action, like nothing, anything. And I was second guessing myself. I was so mad that I chose to waste my night sitting in this spot. And then right before dark, I heard a crunch behind me and I'm like, okay. So I look over my shoulder and I saw a tine coming through the brush like a hundred yards away. I'm like, you gotta be kidding me, man. I was probably only 200 yards from the road. So this deer was bedded, was laid up against the highway with his back and this little finger of woods. And then he was going down. And then he was using that creek bottom uh, to access the rest of the farm at night. So he was staying basically as far away from the hunting pressure as he could. And I saw him coming through the trees and he dropped down in this, in this dry little creek bottom in between the two fields in this section of timber that I was hunting. And, um, man, he popped up in front of me at like eight yards. And he stood there like stock still looking directly under my stand and out towards the field for like 10 minutes didn't flinch a muscle. And I'm in the stand, right? And I'm just shaking like a leaf. I mean, I was like, it was a huge deer. And, you know, I was freaking out. And um anyway, he ended up not smelling me somehow. And he walked up and at like eight yards, he made a scrape. And as soon as he cleared the tree, I shot him. And um yeah, he only went like a 100 yards. And he was the only deer I saw that night. But it was totally just like, the nastiest, gnarliest area you'd never think a deer would be living in. No anything nearby that would even make sense. And sure enough, that's where the biggest buck on the farm was living. And um I ended up killing him on a hanging hunt set. So I mean it was just a it was a crazy thing, but you know, that's uh it just happened to work out for me and I just trusted my instincts and um it worked out.
1: Well and that just goes to show you too, like boots on the ground is invaluable. Like I'm a massive proponent of onyx and you know looking at aerials and figuring out you know where pinch points are and where uh deer are crossing here or there where you know bedding is food is water is but nothing substitutes boots on the ground and and going oh dude there's there's a buck here like there's a buck that lives right here so definitely uh don't don't neglect you know getting out and getting boots on the ground for just looking at a map and because there will be times you look and you're know, like, that's just too thick and nasty. There's no deer in there. And then you get in there, sure enough, there's deer. So um, definitely, boots on the ground is is cannot be substituted. Um, what all hunts you got coming up this year? Are you headed you headed home to Kentucky? You hunting anywhere else, or uh, what tags <laughs> you got? Where are you hunting?
0: So I'm just hunting Montana this year. Um, we have some other stuff lined up, potentially North Dakota for next year um, potentially, um, Indiana for next year and maybe Kentucky. This year, we kind of put all our eggs in the basket of a big elk hunt out of Montana. And the guys are going to come out with me and they're going to hang out for roughly a week. Uh, we're going to just hit the hills hard, um, try to get a big bull on the ground. Um, and then, yeah, I've got a pronghorn tag, obviously, which, um, I'll be trying to fill. And then also my deer tag here in Montana. So I'll be hunting Montana, but you know I have uh, at least those three, and if I'm lucky enough to fill all of those, then I'll go out for fall bear as well and try to try to knock down another black bear.
1: That's awesome, dude. I um I really want to hunt early season Kentucky whitetails. I love velvet deer. Um, I actually just got back one from from the taxidermist that uh, is just incredible. But I just love velvet and uh kentucky's one of the best places to kill a big old velvet whitetail and so um i actually had a hunt kind of lined out for this year and uh stuff just didn't work out and stuff didn't line up in time but um definitely on my radar to go try and kill a big velvet whitetail in kentucky
0: it's a it's a magical place and i think it kind of gets i mean i don't want to burn any states here but this isn't any information that you couldn't readily find but you know um uh, i think Kentucky is you know one of my ideal deer hunting states, especially like you said for velvet whitetails, it has the perfect mix of ag of hardwoods you know you're not hunting 300 acre ag fields with you know little bitty edges like you have a great mix where you know you're in tight with the deer um and you know there's always a chance pretty much anywhere in the state you have an opportunity at a 200 inch uh whitetail. so yeah it's a it's an awesome magical state i love hunting kentucky and um yeah I I hope I'm able to get a velvet white tail. I've never even had the opportunity, but um it's it's the place to do it for sure.
1: Yeah, it just opens up, I think. What is it? First of September every year? September 1 every yep. year?
0: Yep, uh it's So it either... just gives you
1: a great amount yeah. of time.
0: Oh yeah, no, you get a ton of time and you know, you can hunt them till uh y- you know most states, you've got like the first day, right, that you might, if you have a September opener, you know, if it's mid-September or whatever, by that time, you know, odds of seeing a velvet buck or next to none. But uh, in Kentucky, usually, you know, you have that first week or maybe that uh second uh week as well of both seasons to get it done. So it's not like, you know, make or break on opening day, getting a velvet white tailor. It's definitely plenty of opportunity, so. Um, yeah it's it's an awesome place to hunt and there's a lot of big ones there
1: yeah my season opens here on the 11th and so uh you know i've actually got a couple deer which my properties here in kansas normally are rut properties um actually the one property that i have good a couple deer nailed down in daylight every day i've never had a buck outside of the outside of like october 30 30th, 30th october 28th i've never had a deer outside of that time and this year i've got four or five bucks like coming in during daylight on a daily basis and i'm like man what has changed uh, well i know what's changed um new farmer and they are doing milo instead of winter wheat so it's just holding deer earlier and and keeping them better and so um no i'm actually pretty stoked because september 11th you could kill one still you know holding on to some velvet so um i'm pretty excited pretty stoked to get out there they're still holding velvet right now so um a couple of them have stripped off a little bit but um yeah should be a good time for sure
0: i hope you get one man what
1: uh oh it's it's frustrating but it's it's fun for sure what uh what boat are you shooting right now walk me through your setup
0: so right now um, I'm shooting the Whitetail Legend Pro um, with the Hitman stabilizers. Uh, I have the 12 and the 10 inch uh, kit, and then I have the Trophy Ridge React Trio Pro, and not the digital, just the the uh, mechanical. And um, I have the Hex Light quiver on there, and really, dude, it's a it's just a dialed in setup in in my opinion. Um, and I'm also running the, uh, the, uh, MD, uh, drop away from Trophy Ridge as well as my rest. Um, yeah, man, I absolutely love that bow. Um, I have a new bear in a box right behind me, uh, that I'm probably going to set up this weekend. Um, so I don't know. It'll be kind of tough to beat the Whitetail Legend Pro, but I always know that, uh, you know, bear, they always, they always outdo themselves. So. I mean, I'm I'm really stoked uh about what's new, but also, yeah, this Whitetail Legend Pro man, it's really hard to beat.
1: Well, and that's what, you know, they always outdo themselves at that mid level five hundred, six hundred dollar price range. And here's what here I, I, I want to take a moment to hit on this because I had a conversation with some of the guys at Bear this week and uh we all felt this way while bear offers you the very best bow that you could ever get for 600 500 650 uh whatever bow you're talking about while they do offer the best bow that you could ever get at that price range a lot of people have tried those bows and that's their only perception of bear so then when they go to buy a flagship you know they want to spend 1200 1300 they're like ah the bears aren't that great well you shot a bear that cost 400 bucks like you shot one of their mid-level, entry-level price point bows. Their flagships will 100% absolutely compete against any bow you want it to compete against. My Execute 32 will shoot against any other flagship bow on the market. Now, will you still choose another bow over Bear? Possibly. I mean, that's personal preference. There, You know, another bow might fit you better. But with the technology that Bear is putting out on their new flagship bows they will every bit of compete against any bow you want to compete against. So I just want to encourage you, if you've tried a bear in the past and you're like, yeah, but they're just not that great. Don't let a budget level or an entry level bow completely determine your thoughts towards a bear bow. Get out and try the execute 30, get out and try the execute 32. I promise you it will change your mind about bear, but also if you go with something like the Alaskan or the Legend XR or the the White Legend Pro, if you go with one of those bows, it is the best bow for your money at 600 500 that mid-level price point. It will shoot anything you want to kill. It will shoot any distance you want to shoot. I mean, I've shot I've seen you shoot your 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 White Tail Legend Pro out to 100 yards, 110, 120 yards. It'll shoot oh, yeah. whatever you want to shoot. Chuck Adams Chuck Adams is killing world records in Alaska with his Alaskan bow which is a mid-level price point bow. Um so while yes, Bear does absolutely dominate that mid-level bow. You've got to try their their flagship bows out. You've got to try their top of the line bows out because they will perform with anybody you want them to perform against. Let me change oh, yeah. your whole world here for a second. Go ahead. Did you know that you can order one of the dovetails for a dovetail pro, and put it on your React trio, and then you've got a React trio on a dovetail. It's phenomenal. I
0: just got one in the box. Um, Caleb from Bear, as you know, guy's awesome, and I texted him, and I was like, "Hey, man, can we make this happen?" You know, because I I love the dovetail setup, especially. Um, you know, just being as much as I shoot and take my bow in and out of a case and whatnot, you know, I like the dovetail being able to take my side on and off. And, um, like, can we make this happen? He's like, Oh yeah, no problem. We have that already, you know, set up. It's easy. He's like, I'll, I'll, uh, you know, make sure we can, uh, get that set up for you. So I just got one. I'm going to set it up on my, uh, Trio Pro and I'm really excited. I think it's going to make that even better. That's, I mean, those sights, man, they side in and like, all of five minutes i mean it takes like three four shots and you're you're good to go so even adding a dovetail on top of that i mean it's it's impossible to beat
1: yeah for sure dude that is the the react trio pro is my favorite site i don't shoot the digital either um i have and it's okay um I will say I openly like had my foot in my mouth on a video because I I shoot the site and I kill a deer with the site and I'm like telling everything I hate about the site. I'm like, this site's garbage. Don't like it at all. And I name off everything I don't like about the site. I like to be transparent and honest. If I don't like something, I'm going to tell you. Um, and then I do a video with the guys from, from Trophy Ridge, with Andrew Hughes there from Trophy Ridge, and he's walking me through everything that I hated about it. And he's like, well you know you can change that right right here and i'm like huh and then, and then i'm like well i hated this and he's like you know you can change that right here right and i'm like oh and i'm like well i didn't like oh. this either and i'm like <laughs> and he's like he's like yep that's right here in the menus and i'm like okay i like the site <laughs> like okay right. it's great because what happened was it was pretty dark when i shot my buck with it and so i dialed the site and then i gummed a full draw and the light is still on you know, the screen is still on. Yeah. It was pretty dark. So I'm like, dude, I, I can't see, like, I can't see my pins because that little screen's on over there. Right. And, uh, and so that was my main issue with it. And he's like, yeah, you just turn it off right here. And I'm like, huh, cool. So, so I tried really hard to bad mouth the site, but he, he said I could fix everything about it. I didn't like, so.
0: Nice. That's awesome. Well, and t- two, two things that I'll say, uh, real quick about like bear is the reason why I like the mid level price point bow from bear. A first and foremost as an archery shooter, 99% of the time, you are not going to outshoot the bow. The your skills as an archer are what matter first and foremost. A lot of people complain. Yes, better higher end bows can help mitigate some of those problems, but you're never really going to outshoot that bow. So take that in mind, and then two, if you get that mid-level bow, that five-six hundred dollar bow, well then all of a sudden you can do what I did and get the Hitman stabilizers, you can get the React Trio Pro, you can get the Sync and D drop away, and you're still at like eleven hundred bucks for a fully kitted out bow with a two stabilizer kit, four arrow quiver, the quiver with a light in it, mind you. So you can be set up. For like eleven hundred bucks, and have you know the nicest accessories, which I think in turn help you to shoot better. You know, if you have a you know two thousand dollar bow from you know one of the other competing brands, and then you have you know you don't have any budget left over to, to build anything um, you know cool or get the nice upgraded equipment for actually shooting the bow. So. Um, you know, that's that's my opinion on that. If you get a six hundred dollar bow and I mean you can you can be in it a thousand bucks. And I shoot in a three D league here in Bozeman, very competitive, lot of lot of big three D shooters out here. And um I only lost in the championship. I was the only bear shooter in my archery league. I came in, in second place. And um, you know, it's pretty crazy and all these guys, you know, brand new top of the line bows from all the major manufacturers and you know it's mostly about the bow um and how you shoot it and your skills as an archer and then so you know if you want to have that room to upgrade i i don't think there's a there's a better option than one of the uh midline bows from bear because they shoot lights out so that's my opinion
1: yeah no you're absolutely right dude and that's what you know i also it also infuriates me when somebody's like oh dude wish i could afford to go on an elk hunt and i'm like Now I look at their setup and I'm like, you've got a $4,000 setup there. Like if you wouldn't spend four grand on your bow, you could go on more hunts. Just letting you know that. Um, And I like to just throw that out there. I'm like, you do know that not too many years ago, you know, in the, in the scheme of, of humanity, not too many years ago, they were still shooting bows that they carved out of a tree and, and, and you know, sharpened rocks into broadheads. Right. And they were killing deer just as, you know, just as much as we do, if not more because they actually had to live off of them. Right. You know that, right. And they're like, yeah, but if I can do it more effectively, why not? And I'm like, well, dude, I promise you that any bow, if I shoot a deer at 20 yards, any bow is going to kill them. Dude, my wife yep. punched through two deer last year with her, with her little legit, uh, you know, little, Yep The, the most beginner package you could buy. And, and I, I say does, you're like, well, yeah, but I'm shooting big bucks. Dude, her second doe weighed 220 pounds. Like most people don't shoot bucks that weigh that much. Yeah. And she punched through it. And I'm like, that's, that's literally a $400 setup set at 40 pounds and a 25 inch draw weight. And she's punching through it. Prioritize yep. your no. arrow, run a heavy arrow with good FOC, sharp cut on contact broadhead and that bow will do you like now if, you're right like i can shoot i can upgrade and yeah i can shoot better quieter faster with if i go up to the whitetail legend pro and then i can shoot better faster quieter if i go up to the execute 32 but like at what point am i like you said i'm never gonna outshoot shoot the the whitetail legend pro never um so there's a lot to be said about that man
0: yeah, I think it's a, a lot of people. It's just like, you know, in the, in the hunting culture these days, man, it's just like, it's all about, you know, Oh, what's the most expensive, the newest, the shiniest thing? And it's like, like you said, man, people were killing lots of animals with sticks and rocks not long ago. So, you know, it's just crazy to me. And like, you know, I killed my biggest buck with a bear apprentice, um, at like maxed out at like 50 pounds with, like a three blade rage and a Cabela's arrow. So like, it's all about, you know, getting out in the woods, practicing with your equipment, you know, being the best you can be with the equipment that you have, um, more so than it is, you know, having the shiniest, you know, brightest thing, like you said. So yeah, no, I totally agree with that. There's no, there's no barrier to entry, um, really with archery hunting, like, any bow that you get, and like you said, your wife's legit. You know, is, is plenty deadly. So, like, you know, get out there and put some bows in your hands. And you know, I tell people all the time, they're like, well, I don't know about being able to get into archery. I'm like, man, you can buy a, re- you can literally go to, you know, a big box store that, that carries, you know, a bear bow or whatever, and you can get one of their ready to hunt packages. I mean, you know, four ninety nine, five hundred bucks. I mean, you know, you could save up for that over the course of a year if you had to. And be able to, be able to get out there in the woods and have a bow that you can take on a hunt and feel confident about that it's going to hit behind the dot. Um, you know, so that's what I always tell people, like don't, don't let that be something that stops you, uh, from archery hunting. You know, you don't need three grand to get into, to shooting a bow and, and putting meat in the freezer. Like you can do it. And, and, you know, you could even get on Craigslist and search, you know, those same bows used and get them for even cheaper. So, you know, it's it's pretty crazy. Um, but, yeah, I, I try to tell people, don't let that stop them from, from getting into archery hunting. It's really low barrier to injury.
1: Yeah, 100%, man. I When I was in college, I started working at a really big bow shop, a really um, prestigious bow shop, if you will. And I was shooting a bear charger which if you remember those times, that was a budget entry level bow. Um, but I was shooting a bear charger and I was shooting it lights out, but some of the guys in the shop were making fun of me. Ah, oh, you shoot a bear, dude. That's a budget. That's, that's an entry bow, bro. When are you going to get serious and get a, get this other bow. And so I saved up and as a college kid, dude, I spent money. Um, So as a college kid, you know, I was buying a bow that cost 1400 bucks and I was putting accessories on that cost another thousand and arrows that cost 200 and I went out shooting it and I got it all sided in and I started shooting my buddies and the very same guy that made fun of me, looked at me and said, you do know that you were shooting the other bow a whole lot better, right? And I was like, yeah, I do. I do realize that. And so I literally, after like two and a half weeks of trying to shoot this bow. I sold it and went back to the bow that cost 400 bucks, set up, ready to hunt. Yep. And now, could I have learned with that bow? Could I have adapted and figured out what that bow liked and what I was doing? different? 100% I could have. But what I mean to say is this. There is no substitute for learning your equipment. And if you spend time learning your equipment, whether you spent 400 or 4000 you can shoot that bow really, really well really effectively really accurately and kill stuff with it but oh yeah you have to learn your equipment that's what it comes oh, down to
0: totally man it's like some people too you know they jump into you know they have target panic with a with an index uh release and they're like oh i just I need to shoot a thumb button or oh i need to shoot a hinge or i need to shoot a back tension and before they ever really learn how to shoot their index properly then they jump down the rabbit hole because they think that cures the problem. And, um, you know, I always tell people that, like like you said, learn the equipment first, learn how to shoot, you know, the the base level that you have, become a master at that, and then move up, and then you'll, you'll always have that skill instead of just trying to mitigate the problem by getting the next newest piece of gear. You know what I mean?
1: A hundred percent, man. And I used to be that... That really bad, like, crack addict gear junkie, like, you see a new bow released or a new sight released, and you're like, holy crap, I need it, a- and then you buy it, and it's like the middle of the rut, and you're trying to change sights and rests because you think it's all the a ma- sudden going to make you a better archer. And then you're, you know, you're trying to sight your bow in and the headlights of a pickup so you can go hunting the next morning because you had to change sights. I've been there, dude. It's like a crackhead. You're sitting there at midnight just stinging, you know, "Ah, I need to shoot my bow. (laughs) But that's not going to help me. Spending time. I I shouldn't say it's not going to help me. It will help me. But what's going to help me tremendously is spending time with my equipment. Learning what it likes, what it doesn't like, what arrows tune well for it, what broadheads shoot well for it, what makes that bow just a touch quieter. If I take a couple twists out of my cables, does it make it just shoot that much sweeter? Figuring out what that bow likes and learning how to shoot that bow rather than always jumping around to the next greatest, best thing there is. Because, listen, I have spent some money, and I'm not talking about back in the day, I'm talking about a month ago a competitor to trophy Ridge dropped a new site and I'm like, I need to see what this is all about. And so I dropped some money, some real money, like more than we're talking about our bows cost and you get it. And you're like, there's nothing innovative about this at all. The pins aren't that bright. The site housing is not that clear or the, the, the site picture you get out of this housing is not that clear. Um, it's not even that much lighter, which is their claim to fame. What is going on here? Um, but again, they promote it as the next best thing, and it's going to help fix all your problems. So people are like, ah, I need that site. Yep. No, you don't. Like just spend time learning your site. Spend time learning your equipment, and it'll make you it'll pay off, I promise.
0: Oh yeah. No without a doubt. Hit the nail on the head right there. <laughs>
1: I tell people all the time, your bows are important; they are firing their projectile, but you should prioritize your arrows over everything else. Because at the end of the day, no matter wh- whether you spent four hundred or four grand on that setup, the only thing that touches that ar- that deer is the arrow and the broadhead. That's the only thing. So if you spent four grand on a setup, but you're still shooting a twenty-dollar dink broadhead that's going to bend on impact, doesn't matter what you're shooting. Doesn't matter how expensive your bow is. Doesn't matter how accurate you are. Tell you the truth. If your yep. if your broadhead crushes on impact, doesn't really matter how accurately you hit it. Prioritize yeah, no, your that's... arrow and learn your equipment.
0: Yeah, man. The arrow is a huge thing, you know, like I never even thought about that until, you know, um I started watch I mean I guess I started watching guys like John Dudley and um you know, some other guys back in the day. Uh, when i was kind of getting into archery and you know it was like definitely definitely learn your arrow and i didn't even realize like you know people were shooting these broadheads that the feral was snapping as soon as you hit you know a rib bone it's like that's no good you know so yeah like you said i like my arrow. if you if your broadheads
1: if your broadheads aren't reusable there's something wrong like if you yeah. view your broadheads as expand, expendable not expandable expendable as far as i shot it throw it away there's something wrong
0: yeah you know if it's if it's the same material as a coke can you're probably uh not doing something right
1: <laughs> so that's that's my biggest archery tip for you today prioritize your arrows prioritize your broadheads and then learn your equipment don't think i've got to have the new best greatest thing that has ever come to be um now i'm gonna get a new bow every year just because i love archery i love bows i love tinkering with equipment however there have been times where i get a new bow and i just think uh i'm gonna keep shooting this one because i know it i'm shooting it really well um i've got it set up perfectly so i'm just gonna keep shooting this one Um, but I still like bows. So anyways, that's my two cents, learn your equipment, prioritize your arrows and your broadheads, and it'll all work out. Isaac, where do they find Midwest madness, man?
0: You can find Midwest madness on Instagram at Midwest.madness. You can find us on YouTube. Uh, just type in Midwest madness. It's pretty, uh, there's really no one else on there with that name. So pretty easy to find. Um, that's our two biggest things uh instagram and youtube and um yeah i would uh, appreciate the support we're uh trying to crank out as much content as we possibly can uh archery content informational content and uh, a good mix of funny humorous content in there too so uh yeah that's where you can find us.
1: now i forgot one question why do you put your bow in the fridge
0: Well, you know, I think that's one of those things. If you guys don't know what he's talking about, you're gonna have to go check out the Instagram, see what he's talking about. Um But yeah, no, the the guys they texted me and they said, Hey, we got a funny idea for a reel. Do you care if we post it? I'm like, Go ahead. And then uh I saw that reel and I was like, You definitely weren't lying. It was a little bit unique, uh, but you know, did pretty well. So I'm not gonna I'll tell everybody if you want to know. So what's the point of it? You know, you just got to keep it ice cold, man. You want to shoot good. You got to, you got to keep that sucker cool. You know, it gets heating up when you're shooting all those bullseyes. So
1: my, uh, my bow, actually my bow shop area is in the garage. And so she just walked in my office. So I gotta be careful about what I say, but I spent some money on a air conditioner for my garage. And she's like, are you seriously buying an air conditioner just for your bows? And I'm like, well, sweetheart, we live in Kansas. It gets 110 degrees. Yep. You can't have my bows in the garage in 110 degrees. You'll have limbs blowing up. You'll have recurves, you know, blowing up. You'll have limbs coming unlaminated like I have to. Yeah. And so I did spend some coin to keep my bows at least not 110 degrees. So, um, no, that's funny. I'm an arrow junkie. I can't help it. I love building arrows. It's my passion. Uh, I can remember growing up, my dad, It was for him, it was sitting there sharpening knives. He loved to do that. For me, it's building arrows. It's sharpening broadheads. It's fletching arrows. It's, it's playing with arrow weights and FOCs and all that good stuff. I love going out in my bow shop and messing with arrows. A good friend of mine, Dan, he started a company called Arrow Junkie. First off, what caught my attention was the incredible looking apparel. If you don't like Sasquatch carrying a bow, dragging a deer, there's something wrong with you. But as an arrow junkie, he sells me all the equipment that I need to build my own arrows from arrow saws, arrow squares, arrow uh, jigs, everything that I need to build my own arrows. He's got all the fletchings, all the wraps, all the glues, everything, broadheads, fill tips, inserts, outserts, everything you need to build your own arrow. Also, he puts out some really good information on how to build your own arrows. Guys, it doesn't have to be difficult, and it really doesn't even have to be that expensive. You can build an entire arrow building kit uh, for you know 400 bucks or so, and then all of a sudden, you can build the best arrows that you can possibly have because you're building them yourself. You know them. Um, you're putting the time and effort into them. So, guys, I would highly encourage you to check out Arrow Junkie for all your arrow building needs. He's phenomenal. They're phenomenal. Go check it out. Guys, thank you so much for listening. Isaac, thank you so much for coming on. You guys go check out Midwest Madness and everything they're doing. Three incredible brothers, one a little better looking than the other two, one a little more talented than the other two. I'll let you guys figure out which one I'm talking about. But, guys, thank you for listening. Y'all have a fantastic week.